Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to our podcast on one of your favorite platforms, I'm glad you're here. At this time, I would like to thank our partners and sponsors for their dedication to helping the show to grow. We cannot do what we do without their help. everybody you've reached the millennium beat with your host kevin james today i'm on the computer with jeff higgins jeff welcome <laughs> thanks for having me today kevin it's a uh, it's a real joy to be here oh it, it, it is you know you can you can laugh at things if you can't laugh then i think we're in trouble so so uh let's go back to your beginning you were born not in cincinnati but you were born in chicago from what you told me a little earlier yeah, I moved to Cincinnati, though, as a young child. I don't remember anything uh, before that, you know, always knew Cincinnati, grew up here on April the 6th, 1983 in the cafeteria of Milford High School. I met my wife, Shelly, and we've been together ever since, and we've built a beautiful life together. We have three daughters who are married to three pretty great guys, and uh, we have seven grandchildren. Just pretty great? Not great. Uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're, well, you know, I can't go overboard. What, what year were, I have to ask this question, I can just guess how, how close to my age you are, is what year were you in when you met your wife? Uh, we met in 1983. Right, but uh, what year, I mean, a senior. I was a junior, and she was a senior. She was a senior native. Yeah, I was I was uh, punching above my weight because uh, I I graduated in '82. So oh okay, and, and I think I was 18 or 19 when I graduated. So all right, so um, you met your lovely wife. You have three daughters, lovely daughters, and <laughs> grandchildren. And uh, so tell me a little bit about a little bit about you growing up. What were you like as as a, as a child or a teenager? And you can go through it pretty quickly. You don't have to go into much detail if you don't want to. Young Jeff had a uh, uh, grew up in a broken home. Oh. Um, yeah, I, my uh, older brother and sister were from my mom's first marriage, so they were mm -hmm. my stepbrother and sister. Um, they physically abused me. Uh, mom was uh, mom was an alcoholic. And, um, she, uh, uh, when I was 11 years old, she, uh, got drunk and drove her car the wrong way on the highway and under a semi trailer where she died. She was only 38 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, my brother was in and out of trouble with the law quite frequently. And, uh, as, uh, improbable as it may seem three years after my mom died, uh, my brother had a, 
drunken car accident, beer in hand, he drove his car under a, uh, a semi that was pulling off the highway. Did he not survive on that? Did not survive. He was 22 years old when he passed away. So your mother and your brother, both? Time I was 14 years old, yes. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's a lot for kids to handle. It was uh, just being growing up in a broken home is uh, is hard to, to, to handle because, you know, growing up is already a confusing experience as it is. Yeah, definitely. Did that kind of shape your life a little bit on maybe on the negative side at that time? Um, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, kids who are going through stuff like that, um, and it can be divorce, um, you know, uh, parents, uh, uh, separating these types of things. Uh, I, I think for a lot of kids, it's true that we tend to shut down. Right. Um, and that's pretty much what I did. I, uh, yeah, I definitely on the negative side, um, <clears throat> and, um, yeah, shut down, turned in on myself, uh, basically had a, you know, don't care attitude. All right. So tell us a little bit about what went on in your life a little bit after your teenage years. I mean, obviously you met your wife when you were a teenager. And I did, you know, um, we, uh, uh, have tried to always, I guess for whatever reason, DNA, uh, part of my DNA has always been, uh, to live a life of service and purpose. And, um, you know, we, uh, tried to do that, you know, based on my, uh, early experiences, I, uh, gravitated towards, you know, kids, teenagers, you know, so we, uh, we did a lot with youth groups. I taught senior high Sunday school for 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, serving, uh, serving kids has always been important. We started a company in 2002. It's very successful. I'm proud to say I've been a bootstrap entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, but our company purpose is, uh, two words, you know, serve people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's what we try to live out in our business as well as our daily lives. In uh, 2016, I um, decided that I wanted to, as a 50-year-old, <laughs> climb a mountain. I don't know, okay. something I had always thought about. I've always enjoyed the outdoors and used to do a lot of backpacking. So I did uh, I decided to summit Mount Rainier in Seattle, Washington, uh, which I um, uh, trained for and and uh, did, and I used it as a an opportunity to raise money for a uh, uh, school that I knew needed built in uh, in rural Guatemala. It's a uh, some missionaries down there were building a school for special needs children, and I was able to raise the money to help build that. So I used that uh, that experience, uh, lifetime experience for me, as something bigger, you know, to uh, to serve a bigger purpose than uh, than myself. Okay. Cool. Now, my sister, we talked about how I handled, you know, our, our early challenges. My sister didn't do so well with that, and um, she, we were all alcoholics, but uh, she was the, uh, non-functional. And, um, she was oftentimes in the hospital, um, you know, from an alcoholic coma. Um, and I visited her and I would, you know, the one time I remember specifically, I was 
talking to her with tears in my eyes. I'm saying, hey, I've had to bury mom and Tim. Don't make me have to bury you, too. Right. Not long after I summited Rainier, though, that next uh, March, um, Krista broke the promise that she made to me that day, and I was called to the hospital this time to make the decision to remove life support. Uh, There was nothing left that could be done. Um, She was in a coma and would not come out of it. So... So my uh, losing my brother and my sister and my mom were very difficult um, storms in my life. But about four months after my sister uh, died, uh, the biggest storm of all hit for me in my life. Um, And that was, uh, you know, I was golfing with a friend of mine. His name's Father Chris. Kind of an interesting story. Chris liked to golf so much that he said that uh, he told he was a Catholic priest and uh, he said, told some fellow priests that he wanted to die in a sand trap. And uh, we were golfing one day and, uh, and he wanted to go for a ride in my car. And that ride lasted less than 10 seconds where we ended up down an embankment upside down in a sand trap where Chris died. Oh, wow. And, I was charged with vehicular manslaughter, to which I pled guilty, Um, spent time in jail, and basically felt like Humpty Dumpty. Couldn't couldn't be put back together again. My my life was shattered into a million pieces um, from every direction, and uh, and I felt like there was no rebuilding it. so I say that, but then here I am today, right? Um, and, and in all honesty, I'm, I'm living my best life today. And when I look at what it is that kept me from becoming the fourth headstone in my family, right. um, I think that there's some lessons there for me in my life that I try to practice. So what are some of those lessons that you've learned that you want to practice? Well, you know, I think one of the main things is, um, well, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, one of the things that we like to do as human beings is we like to understand. And so it leads us to asking the question, why? And that can be very destructive because we can get hung up on trying to ask why, you know, our ability to be good family members, to be good workers, to be good husbands, parents, all hinges on on how well we are in our heads, how good our mental health and well-being is. And when we get hung up on questions where there are no answers, it diminishes our ability to be the best that we can be. And if I'm hung up on why, then I'm not looking at what's next. And a wise woman told me once, she said, you know, Jeff, it can be destructive to ask why. Sometimes it's much more important to ask what's next, right? Right. Um, And and so, yeah, I could spend the rest of my life very easily hung up on a lot of questions about my family, about the accident, why Chris, why not me? Um, 
And what would that do? That would drag me down. That would keep me from living my best life. And so I've learned to, to instead, when I find myself asking the question, why, ask what's next instead. So that's one lesson. Have you learned any other lessons that you want to share with us? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's a common misconception that our difficulties and struggles in life, Kevin, are just, you know, somehow going to make us stronger. But I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that when it comes to difficulties and struggles in life, and your, your struggles don't need to be like my struggles, right? Uh, they don't have to be big struggles. Heck, like my daughter says, adulting is hard. Just being a, a parent, a husband, a, a, a human being, is not easy, right? So, so we all get assaulted every day, our mental health and well-being. But <clears throat> so our, our difficulties can be different, our struggles can be different. But one thing is common among them is that they don't always necessarily. I don't believe what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Okay. I believe very oftentimes it makes us better, or it can make us better. And you can take my sister as an example, or you could take a look at the. 1,300 or so inmates at the Hamilton County Justice Center, where I spent some time, that life's difficulties can make us better and they can make us better, bitter, but the choice is ours. It's not a, a quid pro quo. You have to make that decision. What are we going to do with this junk that we've been given sometimes, right? Right. So I think that that's very important to understand for people that, you know, hey, this stuff can turn against us if you're not actively pursuing ways to use our most difficult struggles to turn us into our best selves. Okay, that's another lesson. So that's two lessons you've learned. Um, any more you want to share? The importance of, the importance of um, forgiveness and reconciliation for our mental health and well-being. Well, for peace. What I say is that I believe that uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, whatever you want to call it, some of those uh, church words, or but mm -hmm. but in general, I try to um, I, I try to practice what I call radical forgiveness. Look, I had a lot to forgive myself for. I had a lot of people that I needed forgiveness from. And I can tell you that climbing that mountain was the most difficult one that I've ever had to climb. Wow. But I knew that it was the difference between living a life again and not living a life again. Um, that reconciliation and forgiveness were going to have to play an important part of my story going forwards um, for me to achieve my best self and who I was. I think that, you know, People don't um, understand how important this is and we hang on to stuff. And I'm just, I'm talking little stuff. I'm talking the big stuff. I'm talking all the stuff, Kevin. You know, forgiveness in general, reconciliation. I've got a story that I could tell you that kind of illustrates this point. Okay. So it was a couple of years after the accident, after I had served my, my jail time and I was out. And uh, this guy reached out to me. His name was Gary. Now, during the trial, it was very public. I'm a business owner. My friend's a Catholic priest. It was juicy. Right. So it was in the paper. It was on the news. And Gary was a friend of Chris's, and he was very bitter towards what happened. 
And Gary made it a point to try to make sure that I got crucified to the fullest extent of the law. Right. So Gary was talking to the prosecutor's office. Gary was talking to the press. Gary was talking to Chris's family, even, and stirring up a lot of bitterness. Right. Probably the single reason I went to jail for an offense, vehicular manslaughter, where very few few people serve any jail time. I got sentenced to three months. So I was surprised two years, three years after uh, the accident when Gary reached out to me. And he tried to, uh, he tried to, he wrote me a letter, which my wife intercepted. (laughs) And uh, he somehow got my number and he ended up calling me and leaving a voicemail. And Gary wanted uh, reconciliation. In his letter that he wrote me, and I've got that letter actually right here. And I still have the voicemail from him. But uh, he says, forgiveness is a gift that we give each other. And he wanted to know that he had my forgiveness and I want, he wanted my, he wanted my forgiveness and he wanted me to know that he held no no grudges. I was happy to give that to Gary. I, I believe, you know, long before that, that forgiveness was my path back to peace in my life and my heart. Right. What I didn't know at the time was that Gary was dying. which made it even more important because I was able to give Gary what he was looking for, which is the ability to die in peace. Now, what does this say about forgiveness and reconciliation? You hear these stories all the time, Kevin. I'm sure you've heard them. I've heard them. You know, if people know that their time on this earth is limited, they seek reconciliation and forgiveness. It is so important to us and who we are as human beings that that's when our one of our last acts on this earth is we want to seek it. So Gary wanted to die in peace. We all want to die in peace, and that's understandable. What I would like people to know is that we need to do more about living in peace. I believe that that's true for me, especially true for me in my life, right? I've had a lot of turmoil. But I believe that that's true for all of us, that, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation in life is is a great pathway to, to living a life of more peace. When you're talking, I think of the, there's an old saying, uh, when you have unforgiveness, it's like me taking poison and thinking it's going to kill you. No, unforgiveness doesn't usually help the person that you're forgiving it's it's more for you because uh, you know you can't do it i can't do anything about you and how you react and how you treat me or whatever i can only do change the way i think and and then unforgiveness is just and i'm not saying you know i'm not one that says okay he he got sick because he had unforgiveness but sometimes you know the unforgiveness does manifest in some other ways i'm not saying the sickness was caused by that but it can I mean, there are people that get sick and then you, you ask them something and they, they get, they hate their father or they hate their brother or they hate somebody. And it's just, it's it manifested in the physical form of, of an ulcer or a cancer or something. And, and, you know, it doesn't, it, so basically unforgiveness does not help the person, you know, uh, other than yourself being, you know, forgiving somebody. So, so that, so you've had a lot of, 
uh, of death in, in your life, whether it's between your mother, your, your brother and your sister, and then your friend. So, you know, um, did that have any uh, effect on you in the sense of what you became a little bit, uh, uh, you know, like when you're drinking more, was was drinking an escape or was that always ongoing thing, you know, hereditary in a sense of, of because your, your parent, your mother was an alcoholic and stuff like that. Was it caused by things or was it just that you were always that way? Yeah. Right. So that's always the question. Um, I don't know. Uh, nature nurtured. I grew up around it. Uh, but I also obviously, but my, my, grandparents they didn't have alcoholic tendencies i i don't know um i I can tell you that i believe that my mother was an alcoholic while she was pregnant with me and that there's a uh, something called fetal alcohol spectrum disorder which i believe is uh little understood these days but one of the cruel side effects is ironic side effects is that it increases the tendency for people to be addictive Oh wow! I didn't know that. I and uh, and and so that may play a part in my story as well. Yeah, the uh, the the average age, Kevin. All right, this will blow your mind. The average lifespan for somebody with fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. twenty seven years old. Wow, twenty seven. Well, you, because uh, sure. because uh, well, yeah. If if I had if that's what indeed what I have, uh, you know, because right. of the risky tendencies, suicidal tendencies, and uh, and addiction issues. And that is that that's obviously more caused by the mother being an alcoholic, not the father. It's only it's not only the mother in the sense, but it's the mother because you're you're receiving those nutrients or non nutrients from the mother when she, you're pregnant, or you know whether it's drugs or whether it's alcohol, you're, you're getting that in, in the womb. So these, when I was born, I mean, they, they knew nothing about this. So I think they probably encouraged drinking during pregnancy. All right. So you went through all those challenges. You spent a little time in the, uh, the big house. Um, where did, did really things start changing in your life? I mean, to the more on the positive side, because up to that point of time, um, it would seem like more negative, you know, death and, destruction and you know and i'm sure when you were in jail it wasn't a country club so that was interesting story but once you get out and stuff like that tell us a little bit about your story about your more detail of 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 the road to recovery i guess the move to where you are today so uh i can take you back to rock bottom um because for me kevin right it was everybody else it was jeff had a car accident but they didn't know about my mom my brother my sister all of this and so for me it was you know just kind of a culmination of a life of yeah i've been blessed a lot but uh you know i just didn't think i could handle all this right and and i told god so i said uh you know i don't know who you think you um who you think i am and I don't know who said, you know, I'm not going to give you more. Do I can't handle this? Um, and if rock bottom was um, December the ninth, two thousand and seventeen, I have my my jail Bible. Okay, the message Bible. I've heard of it. 
Yeah, the message is a uh, a little bit different translation, um, but um, this is what I uh, what I had in jail. And there's only a couple of verses that I've dated, and this is one of them. And it was December the ninth, two thousand and seventeen. From the book of Job, it says, why does God give, bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die and can't, who can't imagine anything better than death, who count the day of their death and burial as the happiest day of their life. What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the paths, to all the roads to meaning? Now, that's from the book of Job. He's probably going through the, I mean, I, I don't know the story. I know the story. I just don't know the complete 100% details, but he lost all his kids, uh, everybody but his wife. So he was going, probably wrote that at that time, most likely, that he was going through it. And it's funny because God spared his wife. She was like, oh, just curse God and die. She was not for him. And he says, God, why did you take his wife too? You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, I was reading the Bible, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I'll try to do something productive with this time. I'm going to read the Bible. I've never done that. I mean, not I hadn't read the Bible plenty, but not beginning to end. So I just, I endeavored to do that. And I got to the book of Job and it's kind of funny, Kevin, right? Because you, you read the Bible because, you, you know, for encouragement, right? And I right. think, okay, here I am to the book of Job. Job suffered a lot. And then Job got, you know, was redeemed. And, and got, so, you know, I'm going to find encouragement because, uh, you know, that that's what happened in Job. And so I read in there and instead of finding encouragement, I find a voice for my agony, which is sometimes what you find, right? And it's, it's yeah. not about the encouragement that you find in the Bible. It's a voice for our agony as well. It's funny. One of the quotes that people use a lot of times comes from the book of Job is like, God gives and God takes away. Yeah. Yeah. It's in that same chapter. It's, it's in the same chapter. But, know. but so that's what I, that's what I highlighted on, uh, you know, that December day. That's what I was feeling. That was my lowest point. If I had to put a finger on it, I would say that that was when I prayed to die, when I told God he had the wrong guy, please just, you know, I, I'm, I'm too broken to be of any use for you. Three days after I highlighted that verse in my Bible, I got a, ver I got a visitor. It was my 40th day in jail. I say my angel showed up. Okay. I was, it was late at night. It was five 30 or so. And, uh, dark. It was cold winter, uh, December the 12th, 2017. It was my 40th day in jail. And I got a surprise visitor. I didn't know who this was. They said, Higgins, you've got a visitor. So I go out into the Sally port and there's nobody out there except for this little old lady kind of looks like Barbara Bush. And I talk to the mm -hmm. CEO. I say, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Higgins. Where's my pro visitor? I said, well, that's her. And they point to Barbara Bush pro meaning professional visitor. Right. So I'm like, ma'am, are you here to see me? And she had a piece of paper in her hand. She said, I'm here to see Jeremy Higgins. She's looking at this piece of paper. And I said to the CEO, I said, uh, is there a mix up here? And he, she looks at the CEO. She says, I had it on my heart that I need to come down here and see Jeremy Higgins. And he says, 
Oh, let me look in the computer. And she, he says, ma'am, I looked all through the Hamilton County Justice Center. Jeffrey Higgins is as close as we got to Jeremy Higgins, and that's him. I said, ma'am, what's your name? Who, who sent you? Why are you here? Because it's a professional visit. I figure maybe somebody sent this lady to see me or something. She said, yeah. She said, um, I just, I had it on my heart that I need to come down here and pray with Jeremy Higgins. My name is Sister Karen from the Franciscan Convent. And Chris sent me. Now, I didn't know her and she didn't know me. And I was curled up in a fetal position in a corner, praying to die, feeling so far removed from everybody else's reality that nobody could reach me. Right. And some little old lady came out on a dark, cold night in a dangerous part of town, didn't even know where she was going. And she came and she reached into that corner and she pulled me out. And I believe that that was the point when I turned around. I, I hear the word you had a divine appointment. Divine appointment at that time. And she was obedient and listened, you know. I mean, even though she had your name wrong, you know, it, it was close. But, you know, it was, she came where, you know, she needed to be. And she got where she needed to be, for sure. Yeah. So that was your pivot. That was your, uh, not aha moment, but a revelation, uh, a totally enlightenment. To be clear, I mean, I still continued after I got out of jail. I was still, an, I was an alcoholic and I needed to clear that up. Um, you know, I still had some serious hill climbing to do, some serious mountain climbing to get back to a functional human being point in my life. Um but if I had to point to a spot where I'd say that, you know, that was the lowest, deepest, darkest point, I would say that was it. Terminology in, in space and time, um, a pivot point that that was a pivot point for you. That was a, that you're basically your life changed. It went on a different path. So obviously you still went on that path, but it was you. So there were some challenges that you still, like you said, you still had to deal with alcoholism and stuff like that, but you were on the path to a better person than you were. Um, you weren't instantly snapped and then you completely changed. Now, some people have, some people have gone from light to dark, but then some people have gone through the night, you know, from the darkness to the light, you know, there's, there's a different path and everybody's a little different, you know, but that was your pivot point. That, that, that was the pivot point. And, you know, you never arrive, Kevin. That's a really good point. I haven't arrived. I'm living my best life after my worst, most deepest, darkest moments. Um, and I want people to keep in mind that that is possible. Um, but it's not like you just arrive. Um, it's not like I, I have, I'm sorry, I have not just arrived. I feel that this is something I do that, you know, that stuff that I talked about, uh, letting go, um, and, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm on the path to being better instead of bitter because and practicing forgiveness and, and that that's, right. that's stuff that I practice every day, especially when I feel myself start falling backwards. Well, there's also something in scripture, we go from glory to glory, and it's basically what's happening in, in our life. We're walking, we learn, we grow, we walk, we fall, we pick up, we move on, and, and that happens in our life, you know, and we have people that are around us that God puts us in, you know, in, in our life, 
to help us pick us up, you know, and, and help us dust, dust us off off and just continue. I mean, nothing, you know, accepting, you know, Christ or anything like that on that sense, nothing ever said it was going to be perfect. You know, the minute that you say I do in that sense, um, it doesn't, everything go away. No problems don't go away. Marriage difficulties don't go away. Financial problems don't go away. You work to, you worked them out day by day, glory by glory. Everything is working out to the day until the day that you die. You're constantly, you're working it out. But you got to remember here as a human, we're only here for a short amount of time, maybe 70, 80, 100 years, maybe. But eternity is a very long time. And, and, and we won't even care then, you know, you know, cause we won't have a, uh, we won't have a watch on saying, Hey, today is, today is day, um, uh, day 100 of, of, of eternity. I always wondered, I always jokingly, ask, you know, you ever have those questions, theology, theology wise, you know, they don't really matter to anything for salvation or anything, but you talk about them. One of the things is that will you, when you get to heaven day one, will you know, it's day one. Like, oh, I just got here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just funny because you think about that. You know, like you go from earth, your earth suit to your heavenly suit. You wonder if like, will you recognize like, oh, I just got here. I'm the newbie. You know, hey, guys, it's like a church. Like, who's here for the first time? And you wave your hand. <laughs> and, uh, we do, we, you know, well, I mean, we've got a lot of questions. Yeah, you get a lot of questions. Like you ask the guy next to you, you know, how long have you been here? Oh, I've been here about 3,000 years, you know. But, it, it, you know, I mean, it's just like I just got here. It felt like yesterday. But, you know, it's just that's just one of those questions. That it doesn't affect your salvation or anything like that. But you always wonder, you know, like, will you know day one? You know, you know and, and, I, and I tell people um, because, yeah, we do have a lot of questions about right. where we're going and what it's going to be like and, and everything. Um, and and, I, and I, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, um, uh, being around death on kind of a regular basis in my life, so close to it on several occasions, um, you know, I, I, I guess I've got um, a little bit different attitude and probably a little bit more appreciation for each and every day. Right. That's one of the things that that, that that good that can come out of our difficulties and our struggles. Right. So by the age of 14, I had probably a greater appreciation for living every day than most people do their entire lives. And, you know, it's not the life I would have chosen. It's not the life we would choose. Right. Uh, nobody says when I grow up, I want to be divorced or I want to be incarcerated or, you know, it, but this stuff does happen and, and, it, and it hits us. You know, I, I think it's important that when those times hit, that we really focus on trying to be our best in the most difficult situations, because those are the times when it's easy to lose our heads. You know, a couple of days after the car accident, we were sitting there in bed, my wife and I at one morning and just contemplating the horror of the situation and what had happened. And she looks at me and she says, you know, we have tried to set an example when the times are good. Let's try to set an example for how to live when times are tough. Well, you're, uh, I don't want to cut your story short. I don't, I, you know, is there anything else that you really, of your story that you wanted to get out to the audience 
we want to cover that. And if not, basically, um, the next thing would be is how people get a hold of you and you can how you can help some other people go go through their situations. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Well, yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to go with my, uh, I've got, shoot, I can talk for a long time about a lot more topics. Uh, uh, well, I always have, hey, you know, we, we, we practice today and we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk more. I mean, can talk about uh, finding purpose and, and, yeah. and that's, that's a real good one. But uh, I'm always welcome to have guests back. No, I'll tell you this story to, to, to wrap it up here, though, because I think it's important and it's what I want people to know, because I know a lot of people are going through difficulties. I know a lot of people are going through struggles. And sometimes it can seem overwhelming. So August 11th, 2016, at 7.15 in the morning, I summited Mount Rainier. This is cold, glaciated mountain, technical climb. It's not necessarily that high, but it was a physical challenge, the most difficult physical challenge of my life. Within a year, my sister had died and I had had my car accident and I was lower and more broken than I ever knew a human being could be. I've experienced depression, stress, anxiety, PTSD, panic attacks. I've medicated myself with alcohol, and I've medicated myself with sleeping pills and with anti-anxiety medicine. I was about as low as it gets. August 11th, 2022, exactly six years to the day of summiting that mountain was the day that I got my driver's license back. Okay. You can't imagine until you lose it how important your driver's license is. Climbing that mountain was the most difficult physical challenge of my life, but the years since then had been the most difficult challenge of my life, the hardest mountains that I had ever had to climb. But you get through it one step at a time, one step at a time. And here I was with holding my driver's license, and it felt every bit as much as being on top of that mountain that day that I just want people to know that no matter how bad it gets, just keep making one step at a time and believe that there is a better life ahead. That's good advice. So um, I'd just like to thank you, Jeff, for um, being on the show today. I really appreciate it and telling us your story. And we'll have you back. As I said, there's, I'm sure there's a lot more that you can go over and and we can discuss, you know, we, we seem easy to talk to you. There's no problem. Uh, even all the technical difficulties we had, uh, things worked out really well. So Jeff, thanks again for being on the show. It's been great, Kevin. Thank you so much. All right. Everybody else, you've been watching and listening to the Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I'm glad that you're here. Remember, we like to encourage the world one story at a time. This has been a Millennium Beat LLC production. Views and opinions of the guest are not always the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC. Check us out on social media, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and TikTok at the Millennium Beat. Or on Twitter at Millennium underscore Beat. If you would like to partner with us to reach the world, go to our website for more information. You can go to themillenniumbeat.com or tmb2000.net.
Your financial support is greatly appreciated. We couldn't do all we do without your support. The Millennium Beat just updated our website from the ground up. Check it out at themillenniumbeat.com or you can get there by using millenniumbeat.com or tmb2000.net where you'll be redirected to the millenniumbeat.com's homepage. I want to thank Mass Inbound for their awesome work on our website. If you're looking for somebody to build your site, I recommend them. You can reach them at massinbound.com. That is M-A-S-S-I-N-B-O-U-N-D dot com. These are some of the things that you can find on our website. Homepage. You can watch our latest YouTube video or listen to our audio podcast. Also listed are some of the platforms our audio podcast is on. You'll find out when the next podcast will air and who the guests will be. On the top right, you'll find two red buttons. Learn how to help and become a guest. Under Learn How to Help. You can become a partner, sponsor, contributor, or contribute to the future Millennium Bus. You can give one time or monthly recurring. The choice is yours. The other button is Be a Guest. Click it, go to the form, and fill it out, and we will get back to you. We would love to hear your story. Click the About Us drop-down where you'll find stats, where we are reaching people, and to find more information on our sponsors. Click on the Podcast drop-down. Then click on the calendar tab where it will tell you when the shows will air and who will be on them. Or if you need to know about any meetups of the Millennium Beat staff, partners, or listeners. Also, there might be on the calendar an event at which the Millennium Beat staff will be at. Click the guest tab for all previous guests, links to their website, social media pages, and any store they might have. Click the forms drop down. There you'll find a release, be a guest, or become a sponsor form.